Hello, and welcome to the Dumb It Down podcast, breaking down the disconnect between work and life. I'm your host, Eric Larson, and as you can tell from the change right there, we have entered season two of Dumb It Down, where we're focusing a little bit more on the general business and general industry as opposed to just engineering. And that is to make things a little bit less technical, a little bit more accessible, and generally dumbed down. So my first guest is actually a former professor of mine. So my first guest is Dr. Sarah Glova, who actually was my teacher for an online technical writing class at NC State. Sarah has a very impressive resume, which I'm going to briefly read here so I don't mess it up. Dr. Glova is known for translating complicated technical trends into authentic discussions for all skill levels. With a PhD in instructional technology and an expert in technical communication, she speaks about technology trends, smart city innovations, best business practices for career advancement, women in entrepreneurship, and instructional technology, which is a whole lot of things. And uh, we had a good conversation. I think that she was the right choice for the time because she was talking about how important communication was, whether you have a technical background, whether you don't, it's uh, the number one most important skill to get promoted. And I had a lot to take away from her. She's got a lot of good things to say. and I'm excited to share them with you all. So without further ado, welcome to season two of Dumb It Down with Eric Larson and Sarah Glova. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the Dumb It Down podcast. I'm your host, Eric Larson. Thanks for joining the show. So today, we're taking a little bit of a different approach. And what we want to do today is talk a little bit about communication. So Mm -hmm. specific to engineering a little bit, but also pivoting to just the general skill of communication and why it's important. And we have a special, special guest to do that, which is Sarah Glover here. And... Sarah was my teacher at NC State (laughs) virtually back in, I think we decided, 2013. So Mm -hmm. uh, we've kind of kept in touch on LinkedIn and she's doing some cool things. So wanted to uh, have her on and thankfully she accepted. So welcome to the show, Sarah. Absolutely. I'm so glad to be here. I can't, it's been almost 10 years since we were together in the classroom, the virtual classroom. And look at you with the podcast. I've loved listening to some of the past episodes and hearing you talk to other people about their journeys. You're making my job easy. Yeah, communication. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I sent um, a a couple people shouted out one of the engineering career counselors at NC State. So I sent Mm -hmm. it to him. He was kind of said like, oh, it's so exciting to hear about people's stories too. Um, So absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think it's so important right now. I mean, many of us are looking for this kind of connection and a a way to, you know, hear what other people are doing, how they got to where they are. And we're not able to do that in the traditional networking sense all the time right now. So it's a really good time for something like this. That's a great point. And yeah, your your post said you're open to coffee chats with anyone at any point. So (laughs) the the good side is that we can have a virtual one of those. The downside That's is right. I think you're in Raleigh, I'm in Charlotte. So it's not face-to-face and you do get something a little different from that. Um, but ha- happy to do this either way. So yeah, NC State is in Raleigh and Sarah kind of found her way to Raleigh. And uh, I'll just give you a couple minutes to share your background and how we got here. And then we'll, we'll dig in a little more. 
Sure, I love it. So as you mentioned, I'm I'm at uh, I'm in Raleigh, and we met when I was teaching at NC State. I was an instructor there for a few years, and my course was moved online. That was the course that you were in; was one of the online courses. And I fell in love with that environment. It was amazing to me how students could connect in that virtual space, and especially for the international students or for students who wanted wanted to do a deeper dive on certain topics, having the ability to put different resources out there for different types of students. It was just incredible. It was a big change from, from teaching in person. So kind of following that passion, I started my own company focused on helping organizations, companies, nonprofits uh, get their content online, mostly educational content for you know higher ed and, and beyond. Mm-hmm. And I've been doing that ever since. That was over 10 years ago. In fact, when you were a student in my class, I had, I had just kind of launched it, which is pretty amazing to think back. And at this point, I mean, we're an award-winning digital media firm. We've worked with companies literally all over the world. And at this point, I'm, I'm traveling to and speaking, not so much lately, a lot of virtual <laughs> lately, but doing a lot of traveling and speaking and talking about some of these topics. How do we communicate our ideas in, in an online format? And what are some ways that we can improve how people learn, how people understand, even when we're leveraging these online tools? As you mentioned before, when you were kind of joking about coffee chats, it is different. It's just different. It's Mm -hmm. different from sitting across somebody. It's different from standing in the front of the classroom. So just acknowledging that and thinking about the tools that we have to make it even better, not even just to say to make it as good as, but to make it even better than it would have been in person. Yeah. What it's super, super relevant. Um, and I, my mind drifts to like what I do for work is helping with like the traditional office environment and other building Mm -hmm. environments. But, but I, I read some folks and there's a lot of ideas about the future of work and just how people are going to be virtual and remote and hybrid and kind of everywhere mm-hmm. in between. So I think, you know, you're, you're certainly onto something and COVID has proven that as well. Uh, but even thinking back to that online class, I mean, I took it because you want the flexibility, you want, you know, mm-hmm. maybe if you wake up on a Friday morning, a little under the weather, um, you know, you, you can kick that assignment back to the afternoon instead of the morning. And I think Absolutely. the exact same can be said for work. And uh, a number of mm-hmm. people that I've talked to and had on this podcast are uh, more involved in the work remote kind of thing since it's the company they want or the lifestyle they want, mm-hmm. or maybe they're not in their manufacturing, but um, just, Absolutely. just a little I bit. You're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That hybrid uh, environment, I think, you know, so much about recent events have made it required, but I think now that we've had a chance to see what our lives can be like when we have that flexibility, as you mentioned, I mean, that hybrid work environment is so powerful. I, I am in a big community of entrepreneurs who are also working parents, and for that community, it has been especially relevant, but I think it's, it's one of those things that really benefits everyone, whether you're you know, also taking care of aging parents or you have other hobbies. Uh, I know so many people right now who are really focused on their health hmm. and they're able to make those hobbies a priority. It's just that flexibility is really key. And so it's about learning how to communicate in those spaces so that you're just as, if not even more effective. So how did you kind of identify that communication was an interest of yours and then this kind of hybrid approach? Yeah, that's a great question. So do you remember ever taking like a, a strengths finder or a skills finder inventory? Do you ever have to take one of those? Okay. I've done Myers-Briggs. I've done a disc yeah. assessment for sales, that kind of okay. thing. Yep. One of those. And there's so many mm-hmm. and, you know, people tease them. Do a little horoscopes bit. Heard... count? 
I've heard people call Myers-Briggs <laughs> the horoscope of personality inventories. Like each one has a varying degree of, of scientific, but you know what? I think they're all helpful. Anything that helps mm -hmm. you talk about yourself and your skills, think about that um, critically, I think they're helpful. So I took one of those types of, of inventories when I was an undergrad. And I remember being so disappointed because one of my main skills, like the top one maybe, was synthesis. And I was like, what a lame, <laughs> like of all the superpowers, I can take a lot of information and synthesize it and find the clear thread. Like, great. I'm going to be a hit at parties. Like what in the world? <laughs> and yeah. it turns out that really did end up being my superpower. Luckily, I had some great mentors who helped me understand what that meant in the professional space. And it started out as technical communication. So if you think about these, especially tech companies, but really any company that's trying to explain what they're doing, uh, explain to their customers, often they have to provide training to their customers. How do they do that? How do they take these giant, sometimes technical messages and share what's most relevant to people in a way that will engage them or educate them? That was my synthesis superpower. So I went to school for technical communication, really fell in love with the work, but I loved the theory of it as much as I did the actual practice. So as much as I enjoyed technical writing, I just found the subject itself, the theory of it so fascinating. So I, I went back to graduate school and ended up getting a master's and a PhD at state with that being my focus first mm -hmm. technical communication. And then this idea of how do we, how do we teach and communicate? online using instructional technology, especially for adult learners. So for me, it's been a lifelong passion that started when luckily I had some mentors help me discover what my skills meant, what that translated to. And it continues to this day. I love this work and the challenge of taking really technical or buzzwordy information and making it relevant and interesting and engaging. That's a huge skill these days. So a lot of my focus now is helping other people learn how to do it. Yeah, I, I did not have a full appreciation for what all you all did. Um, that because that's that's something that I, I kind of do every day as well. And you know, for me, it's targeted to sales, right? If you put enough mm -hmm. buzzwords in, people won't know what it means. But exactly. uh, it, it's really sales is like an educational role now instead of your greasy mm -hmm. car salesman type of guy. So I'm probably somewhere in that's between so the two. <laughs> I'm sure you're far more on the on the former, but I think you're exactly right. And I would challenge, I mean, anybody listening, if you consider your career, there is a part of it where you are the translator. You're the mm -hmm. expert that knows the information, but you have to translate it in order for someone else to do something, decide something, uh, choose something, buy something. You're that translator. And that's the skill that we're talking about here. And, you know, it's described as a soft skill. It's described as communication, but really it's incredibly vital. I, I still work with students to this day. I'm not, I'm no longer an instructor like I was mm -hmm. when you and I met, but I still work with students to this day. And one of the things I like to say, especially to the engineering students is it is your degree. That's going to get you hired. Absolutely. But the things that I work with you on the communication skills, writing, speaking, those are the things that are going to get you promoted. Interesting. So yeah, now that we've kind of gone this direction, but for engineers specifically, obviously the, the class I took was geared toward us. Um, maybe just address how it affects engineers first, and then we'll, we'll broaden it out a bit. That's a great question. Well, I won't stereotype because of course, you know, <laughs> in that engineering community, there are all kinds of people. And I, I met some wonderful students like you when I was able to teach, but I will say there are some some trends. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I noticed really quickly, especially when working with students, was that I had to convince the engineering students that they were going to write at work. 
I don't know if you remember this from our class, but the first few weeks I would bring in either videos of practitioners, engineers who were out in the field, or I would ha sometimes have them come in as guest speakers just so I could like point at them and be like, well, you tell the students that you write. And then the engineers would be like, oh yeah, I write at work all the time. I have to write all the time. Or I'd be like, will you tell them that you have to like speak up, tell them how much you speak. And they're like, oh yeah, I have to speak all the time. Like I just did this meeting and I just, I would see the students kind of like their eyes. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to go do engineering things. And the class you took, it was juniors and seniors. So some of the students hadn't had a co-op yet or hadn't done an internship. And so they just weren't thinking about that challenge of, well, I'm going to do, I'm going to do engineering. I'm going to do the work, but then I'm going to have to share it with people. I'm going to have to talk. I'm going to have to present it. And so a big part of that first hurdle was just helping the students recognize how often they were going to be doing that work. Once we got over that hurdle and I helped the students see that this wasn't, you know, an elective where we were going to talk about Shakespeare, which has value, not knocking, not knocking Shakespeare, but that this really directly translated to the work that they were going to be doing when they left the university. So that's a challenge that I, I have with working with students. After that, once we get over that, that hump, if you will, um, we really focus on the piece that you already mentioned, which is taking that technical information or what would be, you know, buzzwords in another industry, the, the jargon and making sure that you're communicating without that, because often you're having to communicate, you know, across departments with, with diverse groups, and you just want to make sure that your ideas are understood. So we talk a lot about how to speak plainly, but clearly how to think about your thoughts and ideas and organize them a little bit before you start writing or before you start speaking. And that's a big piece. It's a big challenge. Being able to, to step out of your own head for a second and think about the person who's listening so that you really understand, oh, they might not know this term or they might not have all the background information about this decision. And the students who can do that are often the most successful. Not, not even considering, you know, their grades and other classes, whatever it is, the students who can do that, who can pause and think about the person in the chair or at the other end of the Zoom call, whatever it is, those are the students who are the most successful. Quite, quite relevant to a sales, <laughs> sales job um, and, and many others too. So my question for engineers, so obviously there's, there's stages of technical that need to be involved in writing. Like, I'm sure there's doctorates out there who are just writing technical papers and don't really care who, how it's understood. I guess they would still have an audience and maybe, maybe I'm on the wrong track, but is your, you're saying your skill set and your company kind of caters more toward uh, a widespread or writing to a communicating Absolutely. to a widespread audience? Absolutely. No, I think, I think you're right on track with that kind of note in academia, you're audience doesn't quite matter as much. I mean, you don't hear of somebody in academia taking their research paper and their results and changing it from one journal to the other, mm -hmm. right? It's kind of, that's their research. That's their, their theory. They might adapt it a bit, but they're not going to change it drastically in an in industry. You have to do that all the time, not change your results necessarily, but change what you're communicating, how you're communicating it, what your focus is. If you're presenting your project and the majority of the folks in the room are, you know, on the manufacturing floor and their primary concern is safety. That's very different than if you're presenting your project to, you know, the folks who are in charge of budget, right? Or who are looking at a five-year strategical. You're probably going to have different focus points in those two presentations. So it does come down to, you know, how focused are you on, on your audience? Makes a lot of sense. So that I think everything you said there applies to to all industries and kind of the mm -hmm. business world. Um, 
engineering or not, is there anything you would say is different about like someone with a business background or someone who went into insurance as opposed to an engineer that would, I don't know, maybe give them a leg up or they do it in different ways or like, what are the differences? Oh gosh. Yeah. And again, not to, not to stereotype at all, but the engineers I know are incredible problem solvers. When they are faced with a problem or a challenge, they go into fix it mode pretty quickly and they ask really good questions. They're not going to take a problem at face value. If somebody says, you know, oh, XYZ isn't working, it's probably because of, you know, ABC. They're going to say, well, how do you know? How do you know it's because of ABC? What inf-? They're going to ask really good questions to make sure they understand the problem before they start to figure out how to fix it. And that is an incredible skill and really, really helpful. The communication challenge that comes with that sometimes is when you're when you're communicating to leadership. A lot of times with an engineering background, an engineer might really value the work that it took to get to the solution. What what did we do to solve this challenge? What did it look like? What were what was the information we had? And how did we come to this conclusion? That information is not always as relevant to leadership. They want to know, you know, what's the bottom line? What do you recommend going forward? And sometimes less of the details of how, how you got there. And some of the engineer folks that I've worked with as they've, you know, risen in their careers, that's been a point of frustration for them that they feel like maybe their work isn't honored or their voice isn't heard. Um, I had someone I was talking to just the other day who said that she was often cut off in meetings and I I won't, you know, there's an elephant in the room there that she felt like she was being cut off because of her gender and not listened to. And there's certainly value to that. And we would have to explore that. Sure. In this particular case, though, she, in talking to me, we discovered that she really valued the, the small decisions that led to the big recommendations and wanted to communicate that. And so what she was able to do was to explain that to her manager and say, I think it's valuable for you to know how I got here because I want you to help me understand if I could have missed anything and you're not giving me the space to communicate that. As soon as he understood why she was you know, going through those details, they had a much better conversation. So really interesting to think about how, again, not to stereotype, but an engineer mindset to a challenge or problem could actually create some communication difficulties down the line as uh, you're trying to share your recommendations or ideas or projects. This makes my company is full of engineers and I am one and this is all hitting home because talking about the problem instead Mm -hmm. of the solution to like everyone else, to, to leadership, Mm -hmm. to customers, to just, just to communicate that I think is way more important. Uh, But you raise a good point because you do kind of need to know how you got there, but, but, and this is your point earlier. You have to know your audience. So if you're communicating exactly. internally, they probably do care more about the problem. If you're communicating externally, then it would seem yeah. to, to maybe broaden the message would make sense. So Absolutely. with your approach or like what you mm-hmm. do in your company, maybe a little more on that. It sounds like step one is identify your audience. But do you have like steps or recommendations that all of the listeners could maybe take to their own careers and jobs? Mm, that's so good. You know, one of the most important things, as you said, is to to know your audience. And I think pausing to think about your audience, even for a few seconds, can be such an incredible investment into your communication. I do this all the time, still to this day, after a long career in communication, where if I'm about to send an email, if I just pause for a second and think, okay, what does this person need to hear? 
in order to take action. That small pause helps me to not go into all the things that I want to say or that I need to communicate, but to really focus the message on what this person on the other end of the email inbox uh, needs. And it's such a powerful, powerful investment because people recognize, they see when you've done that, when you are communicating for them, not just at them. And it makes such a difference in the relationship. It's also incredibly time-saving because Mm -hmm. if you think to yourself, like, what does this person need in order to make this decision? You're probably saving yourself some time too. They're not having to come back to you to ask. So having that small pause um, is, is incredibly helpful. Don't be afraid to ask who's going to be in the room for the meeting. Um, Who else might see this presentation deck? Um, are there other departments I can share this with? Like being really audience focused as you kind of think about your communication challenge. The other thing that I think can be really helpful uh, for engineers, but really for anyone is I say, have permission to have a bad first draft. Among my team, we use a four letter word instead of bad for first drafts and it's on purpose. It's like to embrace this mindset, like your first draft should not be good. A lot of times I find that engineers, especially, but all types, get hung up on writing or communicating because they're trying to say something and sound good at the same time. And those are two very different things. So first, write a really bad first draft. If you're writing an email and it's complicated, just write it poorly first. Like say really plainly, like, this is what I'm trying to get you to do. This is the information I want to communicate. Like ugly, ugly first draft. Then go back and polish it and clean it up and make sure it sounds good. If you give yourself permission to treat those like two different tasks, you can be so much more focused. You can make sure you get the content out more clearly because you're not like editing as you go along trying to remember what a comma does. It can be really freeing. And I find that it helps a lot of the engineers that I work with to actually start to like writing because they aren't um, burdening themselves with this challenge of saying something and sounding good at the same time. Uh, If you do that, though, and you're writing bad first drafts, make sure the sender is not in the to field as you're drafting. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. So saying something (laughs) is like the information you're trying to convey. And the second piece is sounding good, which is more of how you're saying it. How you're saying it, right? The tone you're using, the words you're using, um, the even the punctuation and things like that. I mean, just having that permission to get the information out first can be really helpful. So would you say that these same skills apply in your personal life or could be applied to, <laughs> Absolutely. uh, okay. Uh, parallels, so differences. Earlier, earlier when you were like, I totally see this in my work environment. I couldn't help but think the last time I, I did this and, and talked about communication, the person said, so happens to me at home all the time. I'll be talking to my spouse and like, I'm trying to explain all the little things that led me to the the decision. And my spouse was like, will you just tell me what you did already? (laughs) Just a huge communication change or the engineer perspective of like, I want to fix it. Like the other person is communicating something that happened to them or a challenge they're having. And right away, the engineer is like asking questions, you know, well, did you do this? Did you think about this? And the other person was like, will you just listen? where that might be the engineer listening. That's how they're listening is collecting this information, but it's misinterpreted because you're cutting the person off. You're asking them questions before they're done. You're maybe trying to diagnose when they just want to vent. Has fascinating connections to our personal communication. Too funny. Yeah. Communication. Well, and all the different mediums too. Maybe you can touch on this, but texting versus calling versus writing versus face-to-face. I mean, 
Snapchat, whatever you want to do. Um, there's there's a common element or a common thread where address the audience, I think, would still apply. But do you have any recommendations for the best ways to communicate? Oh, gosh, that's such a challenging one. Because I think you're right. I think across different media, it, it varies, right? How I communicate in an email, it's, of course, so much more formal than if I'm organizing folks via a group text or things like that. And it's it's really hard. I mean, I don't remember how much of it we would have gone over in your class in whatever <laughs> I don't either. it was, like 2013. <laughs> like, I mean, I probably had a required lesson where I had to tell all the students, like, don't text emojis at work or, so, or something. Whereas, of course, now that's actually pretty common. I think and, it helps. Yeah. Right? It can. It can definitely warm up a, a text message. And we have Slack. We have uh, different project management tools. We have our CRMs where we're assigning tasks. Uh, there are so many different ways we can communicate. And I think a lot of times what I end up saying is it almost doesn't matter what the technology is. The danger is when you're forgetting that there are humans on the other side. And so in some of the consulting work I do, sometimes I'm asked to advise on which communication tools an organization should implement. Should they get a new project management system? Do they need to consider a CRM? Um, how do they manage their donors? And what we look at is, is this technology helping them to communicate with other humans or is it automating things and kind of making it almost like erasing the human side, which can happen. And if it's the latter, can they afford that? Because that's that's a loss in a relationship. Now, there might be some times where that's okay, where the relationship piece isn't as important and it's more important to make sure that a clear trail is followed or um, clear tasks are communicated. But there are other places where the advantage is not worth the, the risk to the relationship. The advantage of automation is not worth that risk. Hmm even as simple as like a calendar tool. I mean, I love my my calendar link and I use it for, to help people sign up to have consulting times with me sometimes. But then there are other times where it almost feels rude to send it. I mean, I think we've always felt that. All, all of us have felt that where maybe there's somebody that you're trying to schedule with and you feel a little rude to be like, hey, just pick a time on my calendar. I'm so busy that you need this link to deal with me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so do you remember that? It's an older book, but it's like how to win friends and influence people. I do. Okay, so there's an old story in that where he sends a letter to somebody and at the end of it, it says, um, like, transcribed but not read or something. That was like the original sent from my iPhone. It basically meant, like, I told my secretary this as I was walking out the door, but I didn't have time to proofread it. So if there are any mistakes, don't blame me. And the person that he sent this message to was bas basically wrote back and was like, you're a jerk. Like, don't waste my time. Yeah. And it, I love that example because it shows it, the tech doesn't matter. Even back then, there was a way to be rude and show people that you didn't value the relationship and that your time was more valuable than theirs. So we can still abuse technology in that way. And I think it's less about which tech tools and more about how we're using them. I, I really like that answer. Yeah. So <laughs> you mentioned... Uh, Consulting, and I guess your your group does consulting primarily. You said you've got a team. Like, what's what's the overall spiel? And is it? Rapey? Oh yeah, great question. Yeah, so it's Reify Media. I'm a, a marketing person's nightmare. So my company is named it's Reify R E I F Y Media. Mm -hmm. It's a real word. It has Latin roots. I'm just a nerd. It's a word that means to take the abstract and make it real. And I loved it as a company name because even 10 years ago when I started the company, I was like, right now I know we're making websites and online courses, but I don't know what tools we're going to be using to communicate in the next few years. So I don't want to call myself 
Oak City Web Consulting or Oak City mm. Moodle Development, right? Like I didn't want to be assigned to a tool. So I, I choose the generic Reify Media. And then of course, no one can pronounce it and most people call it Reify. <laughs> but that's, uh, but yeah, so I started Reify Media over 10 years ago. I started just freelancing and then wanted it to be a real company. Um, we luckily had some great initial success. Even now, it's a great time to be in the e-learning and online training space. So I feel really lucky to get to do what I do. I work with some amazing people. And then in the last few years, I've really worked on the Sarah Glova PhD brand, which is the brand I use as a speaker and a consultant when it's truly just me. It's just me and my experience. And a lot of times that looks like speaking on stages. Sometimes it looks like training, going into organizations and helping with leadership or professional development or communication, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, and then sometimes that's consulting, just coming in and helping an organization uh, to answer a specific question or address some specific challenges where they need their team to be augmented a little bit. Sometimes I consult on my own and sometimes with my company, Reify Media. It's nice to have that flexibility though, because not everybody needs my whole company. Sometimes they just need somebody to come in and be a sounding board. And it's nice to be able to go and do that as myself. Yeah, that's great. And I've seen some, uh, some reviews and LinkedIn comments that are just very, uh, very supportive of Sarah. And I'm sure with all of this audience focus, you'd be a great speaker because yeah, yeah. it's less telling about yourself and hopefully, you know, uh, uh, catering to what they want to hear too, but yeah, that's, that, that, that's, that's cool. awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And I so the, the reify media is a little bit of website design and like more of a marketing supplement to an existing firm then. That's a good question. Yeah. So when we started, we did a lot of website designs. It was just a great way. I mean, I was a brand new company. And so even though I wanted right away to be supporting online training, you know, helping to create the CE kind of courses that a lot of industry folks have to take in order to maintain their licenses. That's what I wanted to do and build. Hmm. But those are difficult contracts to get. It took years before we were contracted by organizations like AICPA or Grant Thornton on the financial side or um, on the health side. We started working with organizations like um, Duke Medical. And then, you know, things kind of take off. But in the beginning, before I had those contracts, a lot of what I did translated to websites, helping businesses to communicate that really clear, that synthesis again, like here's in plain speak what we do and put it into a web format. We don't do as many websites anymore, but sometimes we still will because more and more often the education content, the educational content we create, I mean, it has to live somewhere. And some organizations are breaking out of like the traditional LMS and they're creating these kind of performance support systems that are web-based and we can help build those. Hmm. Yeah, we refer to our website as the single source of truth. So Ooh. therefore you need like the, the message to be right before you get to the website and it's all, you know, who's looking at the page. It's probably yeah. another, hopefully a customer instead of you yourself. So this is all ringing in my ears. Um, oh, I love to hear it. Yeah, but it's, uh, that's, that's, that's cool. And of course, starting your own company is, is something I think most find interesting and uh, would be fun to do and gives you plenty of flexibility. So Glad to hear it that's does. going well. It's uh, flexibility both ways. So mm. lots of flexibility. And, you know, I started my company and I had my first son in 2014. And then we had our pandemic baby, if you will, in 2020. And being <laughs> able to have the flexibility of a company, it's been absolutely invaluable as both my partner and I work. Um, and so for that, flexibility has been great. It's also flexibility of like you at the end of the day are the person. Um like kind of an embarrassing story, but I'll tell it anyway. I, I took our whole website down uh, on, on New Year's Eve. It was a total accident. It was like 
trying to reset some records before the start of the year. I was like doing some maintenance things and I just, I took the whole thing down and I took the email server down with it and I didn't realize it for, it was a little over 24 hours. And I just assumed, I was like, man, email's real slow. Like everyone's taking New Year's, New Year's day off. And of course, by the time you realize it, I mean, it's like solve your problem, right? Should I have been the person messing with those records? Like absolutely not, lesson learned. But when there was an issue, like I had to coordinate and make sure it got fixed. I know a lot of other entrepreneurs describe it that way too. It's like you get you get the title of CEO, but sometimes you're the person who is, you know, called when the restrooms aren't working. Mm. <laughs> it's, so it's flexibility both ways. I don't mind it. I've had all kinds of jobs. I think we joked about this because you looked at my LinkedIn and we started mess- messaging and I was like, guess what else we have in common? We both waited tables at Chili's. <laughs> That's right. I'm not glad right? you said that. I mean, I'm at, I've had all kinds of jobs, so it does not bother me to wear all these different hats. Um, but I can see that that is something that for me was really important in entrepreneurship, being able to do that. And if I didn't feel like that was a skill I could handle, you know, wearing a lot of different hats, having to be flexible, go with the flow. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to do a podcast and it's like, oh, this one has video. Cool. I'll be back in three minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Uh, So you just, you have to be flexible. You have to be able to kind of roll with stuff like that. And if that doesn't sound um, interesting or sustainable to you, then I would say there are other, there are other um, paths to consider for sure. Cool. Well, I, I had a Q&A. We're kind of ditching the Q&A segment, but one of them, which I was my favorite by far, was what was your biggest screw up? So I'm glad you shared that uh, story about oh, bringing the email down. That was a down. tiny one. No, I'll tell you. <laughs> I've had way more than that. I think it's part of it. I mean, I used to be afraid that all those screw ups were a sign that I, I wasn't supposed to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't supposed to be doing what I was doing. Or if I had screw ups while teaching, I mean, you, you were in my virtual class, so this wouldn't have happened. But when I was early on as a teacher, um, I had a workshop that the students were doing. It was kind of quiet. So I turned on like Pandora or something to play some music. And I remember thinking, I got to be careful with what playlist I choose because I don't want any explicit content and I don't want to offend a student. So I put mm-hmm. it on like jazz or something. And in the, in the end of one of the songs, a commercial came on for like KY, like, <laughs> like lubricant. Because it was like a jet and I was like mortified. I mean, I was like a brand new instructor. I wasn't much older than a lot of the students. I mean, my face is getting red now just thinking about yeah. it. And I like fled from the back of the classroom to like turn it off. I was, and I, I was so embarrassed. And it was, it was a really, it was like a bonding moment for the class. Like they just thought it was so funny. I think that I cared that much that they ended up teasing me about it, but not not too, not too bad. <laughs> I think they could tell how embarrassed I was. That is funny. Yeah. Glad it was a college class and not like high school or middle school. <laughs> you are not. Oh gosh. Can you imagine? <laughs> no, that would be terrible. No. But I also, yeah. I'm not a teacher and don't plan to be. So I'm sure they have to deal with embarrassing <laughs> stuff too. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Cool. Well, I know um, if this was a coffee chat, I would be, well, we said a little before, but I'd be mad if I didn't say include some kind of personal segment as well. So you mentioned before, you know, Two kids live in Raleigh. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and for our Raleigh listeners, because of course a lot of my friends went to state, but you mentioned that uh, military family ended up in Raleigh yes. and fell in love yeah. with it. So what's uh, what's the love oh. about Raleigh? Yeah. So my, my dad is a retired army colonel. Um, my parent, we moved around a lot as a family. Uh, I got to Raleigh and pretty quickly knew that this is where I wanted to be. 
I don't even know how often I've moved in my life. Like I've lost count, <laughs> but I have lived in Raleigh now since 2008. And to me, that is just incredible that I have these kinds of roots in a place. Both of my kids were now born here. Uh, they know Raleigh as home. Oh, I could like tear up thinking about it. I love <laughs> this community. Now I know you're in Charlotte and so I won't all, I love North Carolina and there's so many other great communities, but I will say Raleigh is unique because I feel like it is a, a big city with that small town feel. You can run into people that you know really easily. Someone moves here and the community is so opening. It's not the kind of innovation center where somebody, you know, wants to ask you some questions about your business and you say, okay, sign this NDA first. Like it's so open and welcoming. Um, there's also a, a big opportunity for impact. I mean, Raleigh, like so many communities is dealing with the impacts of gentrification and the affordable housing movement and some of the really incredible, but also terrible history that's been in this community. So there's a big opportunity to have an impact and to be community focused and to make sure that you're not only speaking and acting, but also listening. Um, I just love it. I love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, you could here. tell. I'm, I'm glad you're excited about it. Yeah. I, I yeah. have some strong feelings for Charlotte and Raleigh and North Carolina and you went to well, I don't, Wilmington I don't want to guess, but that looks like an NC state color under, under the jacket. We got yeah, the logo. Okay. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I, and Panthers, yeah. obviously I'm both. It's, it's right. funny. My friend group is very supportive of the Carolina Panthers because it's Carolina. <laughs> so we bridge the Raleigh and Charlotte people. Love it. Yeah, it's nice. Well, <laughs> um, if yeah. I am in Raleigh, and I'm hoping to be at some point, I'd love to get an actual coffee with you and, and keep Absolutely. things going. But I appreciate Anytime. you coming we can even on. Go to, we can even go to campus and revisit. Oh, campus. Well, especially Centennial has changed so much. It's crazy. It's Right? NC State Centennial Campus is one of the most beautiful places <laughs> like in the state. It's so incredible walking around there. I love. I take my kids to Hunt Library sometimes just so they can see. They love the book bot. Yeah. Hunt libraries come up like in my job too. They're like smart buildings. Have you heard of the Hunt oh, library? Gosh. I'm like, yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> right. Well, cool. And I know you're very active on LinkedIn, so I'll include a link. Is there anything else you'd like the audience to know before we wrap it up? Oh, thank you. Yes. Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. I share a lot of content there um, and would be happy to connect. I think the last thing that I'll share is that all this kind of communication that we've talked about today, I don't think of it as a a skill that you're necessarily born with. I, I talked about synthesis, like a skill that I was, you know, have always had, mm -hmm. but I really look at communication like a practice. And I would encourage everyone out there, if you're thinking about these skills to remember that it's a practice, it's all about practice. And so if you're feeling rusty or like you're, you know, struggling with something, just remember that is like, you know, the challenging mile that you're running as you're preparing for a marathon or the, I don't mean lift, but what's the metaphor? It's like the the weight that you're lifting. Whatever it is, that's good work. That challenge is good work. It's going to help you to be a better communicator. So just think of it as a practice. And, and yeah, please feel free to connect and let me know if you have any other questions. You can't avoid communication, whether you like you to or not. No, you can't. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you.